essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Hello and welcome to episode number 22 of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean and coming to you from London, Ontario on this really nice Saturday night. On this episode, we'll look at what's going on with Smash Wrestling and the upcoming events that they're having. And we'll also be doing our predictions along with some news from WWE, but predictions for Hell in a Cell tomorrow night on the WWE Network. It was also brought to my attention that, unfortunately, due to editing issues, I apparently missed out on posting my results and feedback on All In and StarCast. So, at the end of the prediction section, I will be including that file that I had recorded last week. Thank you for joining me, and we'll be right back after these quick messages. Yo, this is Tarek. You're listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. Coming this October 26th and 28th at the Western Fair Agriplex, it's the 5th Annual London Comic Con, presented by Start.ca and London's Best Rock FM96. Scheduled to appear are former UFC champion and former WWE Intercontinental Hardcore and Tag Team Champion Ken Shamrock, the most dangerous man on the planet. You'll also see from Star Trek The Next Generation Deanna Troy, Maria Sirtis, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer Spike, James Marsters, the Yellow Power Ranger Serena Vincent, Ted Raimi, from Ash vs. Evil Dead and Xena Warrior Princess. Star Wars bounty hunter himself, Boba Fett, Daniel Logan will appear. Plus many more names to be announced in the upcoming weeks. It's a three-day celebration of art, comics, and pop culture with celebrity guests, vendors, and more. Don't miss Southwestern Ontario's largest fan event. Tickets are on sale now. For more information, go to londoncomiccon.ca. Once again, welcome to episode number 22 of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. Here's your Smash Wrestling Report. The last two weeks on the Fight Network, Smash has presented Super Showdown. Next week will be the final uh, week of the episodes recorded during Super Showdown, and they will be the title matches. You'll see the well-oiled machines take on Super Smash Brothers for the tag team titles in a BLT, Boxes, Ladders, and Tables match. That's right, Boxes. 
coming off the success that they had last year at the Super Showdown when the well-oiled machines faced each other and had a boxes, what's-in-the-box match. This time, they added ladders and tables to the match and defended the titles against the Super Smash Brothers. Also, the vacant Smash Wrestling world title will be awarded to the winner of Tyson Dukes, who won the Northern Tournament, against the bad boy Joey Janela, who was announced to represent Malice after Vanessa Craven and the Super Smash Brothers attacked the ankle of Tyson Dukes. On the show two weeks ago, James Key questioned the stability of Tyson's ankle to be able to take part in the scheduled match for the title. Those who followed the Super Showdown road trip show with us a couple weeks ago know what actually unfolded that night, but you'll need to see the conclusion of this great show this Thursday at 10 p.m. on the Fight Network, followed by The Hangover on Facebook with Scott Hunter and The Muscle. We'd like to congratulate Tyson Dukes, who has been down in Florida this past week working at the WWE Performance Center, sharing his ring knowledge to the next generation of stars. The students at the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory will definitely be looking forward to his return this week and the knowledge that he will bring back from the WWE to give to them. And also, we'd like to congratulate Tarek and his wife Tiffany on the birth of their baby boy, Theo, who was born just a few days ago. And now for your Smash Wrestling live event calendar, brought to you by London Comic Con, the home of the Canusa 2018 tournament happening October 27th at the Western Fair Agriplex here in London, Ontario. Get your tickets by going online to smash-wrestling.com for more details. Tomorrow afternoon, September 16th, Smash Wrestling presents 100, Part 2, a mystery show at 2 p.m. at the Rec Room in Toronto. This event features international superstars and every match is a surprise. Just because nothing is advertised, that doesn't mean there's no incentive for you to go. You will see a unique mystery wrestling show with 7 surprise matches plus 3 announcements, a live hangover recording pre-show with Scott Hunter. Post-show arcade games with the talent, free viewing of WWE Hell in a Cell, and great food and drinks all day long. You can also reserve your free show tickets at this time for the October 14th Staff Appreciation Show. For even more wrestling action from Smash, you can join us here in London, Ontario on September 23rd right at the London Music Hall as they present Smash Wrestling's London Vacation. You'll see Halal Beefcake return to face the team of Dylan Andrews and his trusty sidekick. London's own Violet Lee will go one-on-one with Xander Bale. Kevin Bennett will face PCO Pierre Carolette. The only question is, will Destro be far behind to bring the monster back to life if needed? Hacker Scotty O'Shea and his two new members of Killscreen Battle three of the hottest young talents from London and Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory, Jordan James, Alec Realm, and Jim Strider. Sebastian Suave faces one half of the tag team champions, Psycho Mike Rollins. 
the Buffalo Brothers, Daniel Garcia and Kevin Blackwood, face one half of the pillars of Tyson Dukes and Brent Banks. And in the main event, has Tarek defending the Smash Wrestling Championship against Windsor's own Aiden Prince. That's once again the London Music Hall next Sunday, September 23rd at 4 p.m. You can get your tickets by going to smash-wrestling.com. Continuing on with the Smash Wrestling calendar, is September 30th at 5 p.m. in Kitchener, Ontario. At the Taste of the Tannery, Smash Wrestling presents Don't Test Karma. The Muscle faces John Greed. Sebastian Suave goes one-on-one with Von Vertigo. Mark Wheeler faces Space Monkey. Jody Threat goes against Xander Bale. For the tag team titles, the well-oiled machines defend against the pillars of Tyson Dukes and Brent Banks. In a Buffalo four-way, Puff takes on Kevin Bennett, Kevin Blackwood, and Daniel Garcia. And in the main event for the Smash Wrestling World Championship, Tarek defends against Scotty O'Shea. As mentioned previously, October 14th at 4 p.m. at the Rec Room in Toronto, Smash Wrestling presents This is Smash, a staff appreciation free show. To honor the volunteers who work tirelessly to produce the Smash Wrestling shows we love, the talent has been together to decide and decided to put on a show where they will accept zero pay. So that's tic- so the tickets can be given away for free to all fans. Donations will be accepted throughout the event, and any money donated will be divided and presented to the 25-plus staff who have helped Smash grow over the past six years. October 14th, 4 p.m., The Rec Room in Toronto. You can reserve your tickets tomorrow during the Smash 100 Part 2 event happening at The Rec Room as well. And finally, October 27th, during the 5th Annual London Comic Con, Smash Wrestling presents the 2018 Canusa Classic at the Western Fair Agriplex at 5pm. It's North America's biggest women's independent wrestling tournament, and it's coming to London for the first time as part of London Comic Con. An entire weekend of wrestling talent topped by a Huge Canada versus USA tournament featuring the best independent females from North America. So far, each team has announced six of their seven participants. Representing Team Canada is Lufisto, Cat Power, Jody Threat, Xander Bell, Nicole Matthews, Casey Spinelli, and one more to be announced next week. Representing Team USA as Veda Scott, Jordan Grace, Allison Kay, Sue Young, Shotzi Blackheart, Tessa Blanchard, and they still have one more to announce next week as well to round out their team. For more info on all these shows, check out smash-wrestling.com, the Smash Wrestling Facebook page, or through our uh, Scumbags Wrestling Facebook page to see how you can join us in the scumbag section. This has been your Smash Wrestling event news calendar brought to you by London Comic Con. 
October 26th to the 28th, here in London, Ontario, at the Western Fair Agriplex. If you're looking to get into the wrestling business, check out the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. This school is located right here in London, Ontario, Canada. Learn from one of Canada's best wrestlers around. It's located at 309 Exeter Road, and it's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 6 p.m. till 8.30 p.m. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory, teaching the new generation of hopefuls into superstars. My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. So, I kind of have a big announcement to make. We're back! Oh my god, guys. I just found out that my partner for the Mixed Match Challenge is none other than the first ever WWE Universal Champion, Finn. I mean, if you guys know our history from NXT, you can just imagine the possibilities. I mean, we could come out and I could do his entrance. Or we could come out and he could do my entrance. Or even better, you know what we can do? We've done this before and I'd say we got it down pretty good. We could come out and do the dirty dancing routine entrance. How sweet would that be? You know what, it doesn't matter because when we get in that ring, all I know is that this time I'm taking it to the top and we are winning the Mixed Match Challenge. Bailey and Finn Balor, we got this. Shanti. This is the modern day Maharaja. And I yet have another spiritual intervention this time with my partner for Mixed Match Challenge 2. Yes, she has some issues and yes, can help her achieve inner peace and together with the power of Shanti we will conquer Mixed Match Challenge 2 my partner unfortunately is in deep deep meditation at the moment my partner is none other than Alicia Fox Shanti the Mixed Match Challenge number 2 so you see last time I had my partner Finn Balor and he was great. I loved him. He was awesome. But this time, I'm ready to dominate. So who did I call in? The dominant. <laughs> My man, Bobby Lashley. And we're going to go all the way to the top, and we're going to win this one this time. Absolutely. WWE Mixed Match Challenge. Season 2 premiere Tuesday, September 18th. Streaming live on Facebook Watch. And now for some WD news. Congratulations goes out to Renee Young, who was promoted to a full-time commentary on Monday Night Raw. This marks the first woman to be at the desk on a regular basis. She joins Corey Graves and Michael Cole every Monday, replacing Jonathan Coachman. Renee started off on the score doing Aftermath and was later hired by WDE, where she started as a backstage reporter and then commentary for NXT. Before moving to the main roster, 
doing backstage spots and in-ring interviews, Raw Talk, uh, Talking Smack, and the pay-per-view pre-show panels. Currently, she's also doing the commentary for the Mae Young Classic. Last weekend, Mick Foley was here in London, and then Fergus in Brantford doing his 20 Years of Hell show. Mick went down to New Orleans to be on Monday Night Raw, and he came out cutting off Elias to announce that Stephanie McMahon appointed him the special guest referee for the Universal Title Match tomorrow night at Hell in a Cell, when Braun Strowman cashes in his Money in the Bank briefcase to challenge Roman Reigns for the Universal Title. Speaking of the 20 Years of Hell tour, I attended the show in Brantford last Sunday with my wife, Greg Sheen, and his friend. We had an awesome booth at the back of the nightclub and great view and comfortable chairs compared to the white plastic chairs that the rest of the audience had. Unfortunately, there was a couple of people who decided to do some pre-drinking before the show and were drinking in the parking lot before coming in who thought they were the show as opposed to Mick being the show. After numerous attempts of being told to not be a part of it, they still were kind of carrying on, especially during the Q&A, where he even was able to get up and ask Mick a question while his girl, this gentleman's girlfriend was waving and still hooting and hollering. Thankfully, Mick was able to ignore her and carry on with the show. But I have to agree with him. It's not a place for doing that. He has a show to do. He doesn't go to McDonald's and pat you on the back when we need to uh, get some fries. And so, you know, he needs the same respect as you would uh, actually want at work. The show had a lot of great stories and good audience questions, including myself. I got to ask him a question involving the This Is Your Life segment with The Rock. I was hoping to get him to talk about the amnesia story from WCW. But unfortunately, he had already somewhat touched on that when he was asked about Vader in WCW. The only odd part of the appearance was by Jason Sensation. He did his voices of Bret Hart, Owen Hart, David Boy Smith, Kurt Angle, and Steve Austin. But I just found it really odd considering what he had posted on social media when Ra was in Toronto and how he said they snuck a gun in to, and he was going to off himself right there in front of everybody and thank WWE for the memories and use the Billy Red Lions don't you dare miss it uh, line in his tweet and while I understand mental health caused that to happen and it was somewhat a I guess cry for help and he did get the help thankfully the police found him not at the arena and was taken to a hospital where he did get help. It just seemed odd with the timing of how soon it was that he ended up doing that appearance. I guess Mick believes in him. I'm not saying I don't believe him and I don't want him to get help, but Mick obviously reached out to him knowing what had happened and found that he was doing well. So I guess he invited him to be part of the show and, yeah, I just hope that Jason is doing better. 
it's just, as I said, the timing seemed really odd. But it is what it is. He did bring his voices to the show and did perform. So all the best to Jason Sensation. With the uh, 20 Years of Hell tour, WD actually took their cameras to one of his shows on the exact date, June 28th, um, 20 years after the Hell in a Cell match, to record one of Mick's shows. And so tomorrow night, right after Hell in a Cell, that's going to be shown on the network, and they'll be presenting that show. I'm obviously... I loved how the show was when I saw it live. This one will be forever on the network, and it'll be interesting to see what extras WD puts in, comments from the different talent, possibly. Uh, maybe we'll get comments from The Undertaker. They did post a video this afternoon involving the Hell in a Cell, and there was like a call-in of Undertaker giving his comments about what he thought had happened when he tossed Mick off the cage, when he looked down into the cage after Mick fell through it and where he had to stand and the fact that he had a broken foot. So there was even Tim White comments. I'm just looking forward to seeing what that is. And like I said, that will happen tomorrow night on the WWE Network right after Hell in a Cell. It'll be Mick Foley's 20 Years of Hell show. With the change happening on Rob, with Renee taking a space at the commentary table, it means that Jonathan Coachman will now be moved to the kickoff shows, and he'll head up the pre-show panels with Booker T, Sam Roberts, and anybody else who ends up rotating through David Otunga. And maybe that'll be something he will find better at without having Michael Cole and Corey Graves always cutting him down and doing that, he can lead a panel and maybe be like how he was when he worked at ESPN. So hopefully this was a good decision by WD to move him there. I recommend that people take a moment to check out the interview that Renee Young did with Selena Vega on the 17th anniversary of 9-11 attack in New York. Vega uh, talked about how her father died in the uh, World Trade Center being on the 103rd floor and how he was a, a huge fan of The Rock and he had called home to his family when the planes had hit and the Zelina's mother was begging him to just take the stairs and go down. Unfortunately, he uh, did pass away and did not make it out of the building and Zelina Vega, when she met The Rock for the first time, told him about her father and so there was a good story told there, even though it was a tragic loss for her and her family. Um, so it was a really good interview if you get a chance to uh, watch it. Since Shawn Michaels appeared on Raw and was confronted by The Undertaker when he was giving his views on what was going to happen at Super Showdown in Australia, there's been a ton of chatter about Sean breaking his word and officially returning to the ring for an official match. And that match could happen as soon as November when WD returns to Saudi Arabia. And at the same time, it will not be a singles match as the rumor has it that Michaels will team with Triple H 
to take on the Brothers of Destruction, Undertaker and Kane. If this happens, clearly money uh, talks really loud and the prince will get his wish. Unfortunately, the prince of Saudi Arabia won't get his wish of having Yokozuna and Ultimate Warrior there like he wanted before. But if he ends up getting Shawn Michaels and having DX reunite and taking on the Brothers of Destruction, I'm sure the prince who loves uh, tons of 90s wrestling will just be in his glory seeing that match happen. This week there was also a possible leaked match list for Evolution and the card that is supposed to happen at the end of October on the 28th. Some of the matches are confirmed already, including the finals of the May Young Classic, Trish Stratus versus Alexa Bliss, and Mickey James taking on Lita. With the possible leaks, there's still a chance that some of these matches could change just to throw off the wrestling world who have now seen that card, if it was legit. So I won't run down the rumor matches as they are, uh, since they're not official. However, if the list is real, it does have some names of returning women who would be coming back to be on the show, and three of them are Ivory, Kelly Kelly, and Melina. So who knows if that's going to be real, and if it is, it should be an interesting card what they put together on that paper. But, you know, there's room for others to come back. And who would you like to see return for Evolution? Send me your thoughts at our Facebook page, Scumbags of Wrestling. As reported on our last episode, the Mixed Match Challenge will be returning and starting this Tuesday, right after SmackDown on Facebook Watch. As a result, WD this year are going to move 205 Live to Wednesdays at 7 p.m. This definitely won't be a live show, but they'll still keep the name. And it could be a testing ground to see what happens if people watch it more at a 7 o'clock time slot on Wednesdays and how it affects the fans when they decide to record it. I would assume that 205 Live will now be recorded before SmackDown starts, since they have Mixed Match Challenge to do, and they're doing two matches each week. And if they want to keep the audience entertained and focused, this would be a great way of doing it. And, like I said, could be a testing ground to see if it changes things with the future of 205. So that makes Raw on Mondays three hours, SmackDown will be two hours, plus however long they take for Mixed Match Challenge, which could be up to a half hour there. And then on Wednesdays, you can tune into the WD Network at 7 p.m. to see 205, then NXT and May Young Classic. So you got three hours of wrestling there from 7 till 10. And finally, in WD News, earlier today, WD had a live video streaming from the arena of Hell in a Cell with the ring crew setting up the cage to hang it from the ceiling. Of note, the cell got a huge makeover. It's now all red. I have no idea how it will uh, 
portray or look on TV, especially with the different color cons- compared to the steel color and gray that we're accustomed to, or how it will look for the live audience, if it will be a strain on the eyes or not. But I guess WWE needed to experiment with this and make it look like hell. So it's red, fire and brimstone-ish look to it. So that's the new big change happening for Hell in a Cell tomorrow night. Hey guys, we're looking to make a big splash at the Canusa Classic happening during London Comic Con. Show your uh, scumbag colors by going to twistedmerch.com where Twisted Tees is going to be selling our t-shirts. You can get the original Scumbags of Wrestling logo shirt based off the WWF Superstars of Wrestling logo. There's also the Scumbags of Wrestling Raw is War inspired logo. Plus, brand new to the collection is our Scumbags of Wrestling podcast logo based on the Survivor Series. Get your t-shirts now for $25. If you order directly through me, I'll save you the shipping and handling, and I'll donate some of the uh, proceeds to Cody Deaner's latest Giver for Charity event. So... Be sure to get your t-shirts in time for Comic-Con during October 26th to 28th. Go to Twisted Tees at TwistedMerch.com. Support the Scumbags of Wrestling, support this podcast, and support Cody Diener's Gear for Charity. Coming this October 26th to the 28th at the Western Fair Agriplex, it's the 5th Annual London Comic Con. Already announced to appear from Star Trek The Next Generation, Deanna Troy, Marina Sirtis. From Puffy the Vampire Slayer, Spike, James Marsters. The Yellow Power Ranger, Serena Vincent. Ted Raimi from Ash vs. Evil Dead and Xena Warrior Princess. Star Wars Bounty Hunter himself, Boba Fett. Daniel Logan will make an appearance. And former UFC champion and WWE Intercontinental Hardcore and Tag Team Champion, Ken Shamrock. Plus many more names to be announced in the coming weeks. It's a three-day celebration of art, comics, pop culture, with celebrity guests, vendors, and much more. Don't miss Southwestern Ontario's largest fan event. Tickets are on sale now. For more information, go to LondonComicCon.com. 
Ca. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. And now it's time for your WWE Hell in a Cell predictions for tomorrow night. The New Day will defend against Rusev Day. The New Day just recently won the tag team titles back by beating the Bludgeon Brothers when Eric Rowan ended up being injured. So now they will face Rusev Day, who won a mini tournament to determine the number one contenders this past week on SmackDown Live. Unfortunately, as much as it looks like Rusev Day are on the same page, it might be the time that they are not on the same page and actually blow up. And New Day will get the victory, possibly by Aiden English screwing up again, and New Day will uh, still remain tag team champions. The only question is, what will happen with Aiden and Rusev after their feud ends? For the WWE Raw Tag Team titles, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre will defend against Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. With Dolph and Drew just winning the tag titles, I don't see them dropping them anytime soon. And in a couple weeks, they're going to be teaming with Braun Strowman to go against the full shield in a six-man tag match at Super Showdown. So I see Drew and Dolph retaining the titles on this one. For the Raw Women's Championship, Ronda Rousey defends against Alexa Bliss as she invokes her rematch clause. This past week on Raw, Alexa targeted the ribs of Ronda Rousey, trying to create some sort of doubt in people's minds and create a weakness for Ronda to not be able to do the domination that she did on Alicia Fox and others just ragdolling them around. This might be something that works, but at the same time, I still see it's too early for getting the belt off of Ronda Rousey. Even if Natalia does turn on her eventually and sets up her next uh, match, that belt is not coming off her until at least WrestleMania when she probably meets up with Charlotte Flair. So with that said, Ronda Rousey should retain the Raw Women's Championship. That takes us to the SmackDown Women's title as Charlotte Flair defends against Becky Lynch. As we saw last month, Becky had worked her way to be the number one contender by beating all other competitors on SmackDown Live. However, Charlotte just showed up one night, got given a chance to beat Carmella to be in the match, and it became a three-way match with Charlotte coming out on top and taking the women's title from Carmella at SummerSlam. This was the time that Becky Lynch did her supposed heel turn. However, it hasn't really come off too well, even though she is sort of acting heelish. She's more like the scorned friend who got screwed over by Charlotte instead of an actual heel turn because the fans are not buying it 
uh, in the least. Charlotte is the one getting booed and no sympathy for her. The fans seem to be sympathetic towards Becky's plight of working so hard to get that title shot only to be screwed over by her friend, and she still gets cheered enormously every week on SmackDown. So there is rumor that this will be a chance to rectify that direction and do sort of the uh, WrestleMania 13 double turn like Austin and Hart did. But in this case, Charlotte will become a heel and Becky will uh, be the face. And if that does happen, I see Charlotte retaining the title just to make Becky have to chase her some more and get it at either Super Showdown or at Evolution when the title is on the line. The first match that was announced for Hell in a Cell was actually the mixed match of Daniel Bryan and his wife Brie Bella facing the other husband-wife team of Miz and Maurice. And this is just somewhat of a placeholder for the whole Daniel Bryan-Miz feud that has been simmering for the last little bit. It definitely has not been as hot as it could be, but at the same time, Daniel Bryan was hoping that they could have found a way of doing their big match at WrestleMania against each other, but didn't have the confidence of it happening. Even if that was the intended plan to get them to WrestleMania, a mixed match like this really isn't going to prolong it any further, especially when also at Super Showdown, Daniel Bryan will face The Miz in a number one contenders match. With that said, I think that the team of Miz and Mrs. will end up upsetting the team of Dana Bryan and Bree. With probably Bree taking the pinfall on this match. The Miz has been taking shot after shot from Bree, whether it's a slap in the face or a punch in the face. And it's about time that you know, regardless of WD's men versus women uh, no-nos happen, somehow Miz will cause Bree to take the loss and he'll be satisfied with that as revenge and laugh at Daniel Bryan. And it'll give Bryan more incentive to punch Miz in the face at Super Showdown in Australia. In one of the first Hell in Saw matches, probably the opener of the night, Jeff Hardy will face Randy Orton. Jeff Hardy has been breaking down uh, lately almost as much as his brother Matt, who has now unofficially had to retire and take a role in a producer backstage capacity as his hip and tailbone or pelvis seem to be fusing together somehow after all the bumps that he's taken with the leg drops and bumps off ladders. It's only safe to assume that, you know, that definitely shortened each of their careers. And Jeff tries to only pull out the uh, swanton now every once in a while, especially on TV, as opposed to doing it at house shows and saving it for uh, bigger spots. He did mention on a table for three that he's always wanted to do a Hell in a Cell match 
and he didn't know if it was going to be a tag team or a singles match, but he's going to get to do that against Randy Orton, the only man who's done less Hell in Cells than Triple H or Undertaker. And so you would assume that he knows, obviously, what he's doing. He's going to be there to take uh, Jeff to where he wants to go. I'm hoping that doesn't mean also doing a swanton off the top of the cage and through a table onto Randy, but anything is possible with Jeff Hardy. And it could spell the end of Jeff and his swan song, no pun intended, um, going out. Matt could show up and uh, be there for him as, as a final bow. Um, but there's also talk that maybe Brother Nero or Willow will appear. So I don't know if this is necessarily the end of Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton feud, but it could be the end of Jeff Hardy and the appearance of Willow to go against Randy Orton in the future. Either way, there's going to be some really sick bump happening during that uh, match with Jeff Hardy jumping off. And I just hope that he doesn't do permanent damage to himself when it happens. But in the end, I am picking Randy Orton to take this match. The match that I was hoping would be in a cell possibly, or at least the main event, is AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe for the WWE Championship. The last while, Joe has been taunting AJ about breaking him and sending him home to his wife and daughter without the title in tow, and even saying that he was going to be Wendy's new daddy in a lovely story that he read on SmackDown this week, with a lot of creative put in there for the book, uh, actually making the graphics happen and then presenting it. It was probably one of the best promos that have happened in a long while with some actual production value put towards it. Um, wow. Uh, for this one, I still, like at SummerSlam, want to see Samoa Joe take the title. I think they're also supposed to have another rematch, so it'd be the third one um, at Super Showdown as well on October 6th. So it'd be interesting to see Samoa Joe win the title tomorrow night at Hell in Cell and have AJ chasing for the belt at Super Showdown. I can almost see in a way, I think somebody, I'm not sure where it was, it might have been on Sunday Night's Main Event or some posting that I saw online that somebody thought maybe they would end up doing something involving Wendy and uh, AJ's daughter where they end up throwing in the towel on behalf of AJ and wanting to save him from the clutches of Samoa Joe. In that case... AJ would end up losing the title, be disappointed in his family for doing it, but vow to go after the Samoa Joe in the title. I do like that concept, and for that to happen, we need Joe to win the title and have AJ chasing. 
he AJ Zori taking out John Layfield as the longest reigning WWE champion on SmackDown. I wonder if now that Brock Lesnar did surpass CM Punk's title reign, if they're going to be so petty to want AJ to do it too. I hope that isn't true because storyline-wise, it doesn't matter either way whether he does or not. And as well, Brock Lesnar has bumped CM Punk off that list of longest reigning champions. So hopefully that's enough and we can actually do something with the title instead of it being on AJ for 435 days. And on to the main event of the night where... Braun Strowman will cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase to face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell with Mick Foley as your special guest referee appointed by Stephanie McMahon this past Monday. I sincerely hope that Mick Foley lives up to what he said uh, during his 20 years of Hell tour that the doctors have told him that he cannot take any bumps because it would be detrimental to his health, just like it is to Adam Copeland, and that he adheres to those words of warning from the doctors and does not try anything crazy. Unfortunately, at the same time, this is McFoley. It is Hell in a Cell. It's not going to be a bump off the top of the roof, but it could end up being something big, like even what Tim White took when... Jericho and Triple H were in Hell in a Cell and he got bumped into the cage and that ended his roughing career. I'm hoping it's mild, uh, not that it was not mild for Tim White, but mild in McFoley standards and it's not going to affect him adversely for the rest of his life and go against what Dr. said. As for the match itself... It is going to be another hard-hitting fight between these guys. They always have done that over the last year or two when they've been on house shows and fighting each other all over the place when Braun was healed the last time. Um, I do see Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose all getting involved. So it's not going to be a clean one-on-one match for the title. And that is possibly a way that they can explain that Strowman becomes, what is it, I believe the third or fourth person to cash in and not win the title, uh, which is a rarity considering everybody else seems to win the briefcase and get the belt. Myself, I would like to see Strowman with it. And have Roman chasing him instead. And that would also put the title on uh, Strowman with Dolph and Drew holding the other titles. And the Shield chasing them for those belts. And everybody having that going into uh, Super Showdown. So my official prediction for this match. I see... Braun Strowman hopefully winning the title. And I have a feeling I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going with Braun Strowman with that. And so that is your Hell in a Cell preview. 
there has been rumors also with the uh, SmackDown women's title that, and there's, the two women have been bantering back and forth on social media, uh, Charlotte and Becky have, that it, that match could become a Hell in a Cell. So it won't be surprising if all of a sudden the cage starts dropping and we end up with three Cell matches tomorrow night uh, with the women being in the middle between all those matches. Uh, either way, th- as I said, this has been your predictions. Please send me your predictions tomorrow on our Facebook page, and we'll compare notes and see what happens. Hey, it's Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbag Podcast. Hey, this is the game, Triple H. The WWE truly is a global phenomenon. The WWE Universe exists in more than 800 million homes worldwide and speaks over 25 languages. But Australia has been a home away from home for WWE for over 30 years. In 2002, though, we broke ground when I competed in a historic main event against The Rock and Brock Lesnar at the Global Warning Pay-Per-View. And now, I am truly honored and privileged to be able to announce WWE's long-awaited pay-per-view return to the land down under. WWE Super Showdown will take place in Melbourne, Australia at the iconic Melbourne Cricket Ground on Saturday, October 6th, live on the WWE Network. And we are bringing our biggest and best WWE superstars from both Raw and SmackDown Live, including John Cena, Roman Reigns, Sasha Banks, Braun Strowman, Charlotte Flair, AJ Styles, The New Day, Daniel Bryan, and the baddest woman on the planet, Ronda Rousey. Not to mention my opponent at WWE Super Showdown, the one and only, the phenom, The Undertaker. It has been six long years since one of the greatest rivalries in WWE history was said to be dead and buried. But legends, legends never die. The Undertaker and I have some unfinished business. At WWE Super Showdown, The Undertaker will once again know why I am the cerebral assassin. Undertaker, I promise you, this is no game. So Melbourne, Australia, there's just one thing left to ask. Are you ready? Last weekend was the highly anticipated StarCast and All In weekend happening in Chicago, Illinois. Unfortunately, due to time constraints and availability, we unfortunately are not able to bring you any follow-up from Nathan or James on their experience at StarCast and All In. However, it was an amazing show, and we're going to try and recap it as much as possible. The weekend started on the Thursday, the 30th, with StarCast. On Thursday night, you could uh, have watched the Monday Night Wars debate featuring Bruce Pritchard versus Eric Bischoff with Conrad Thompson as the moderator. I actually did enjoy this a lot. There was some uh, good 
banter back and forth between the two guys. And if you're a follower of Bruce Pritchard's Something to Wrestle With and Eric Bischoff's 83 Weeks podcast, you definitely would enjoy this show. There was also the Elite Karaoke Party with Marty Skrull, and he sang everything from Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy, Backstreet Boys, and some Celine Dion. It was kind of a train wreck, but funny at the same time. Uh, Yeah, definitely look forward to seeing it in its entirety. Medusa had her show, Unthrottled Live, with a panel of women wrestling, followed by What Happened One Monday with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson, which Medusa made a guest appearance on that one, and Tony got to live the moment he thought he never would of riding behind Medusa on a motorcycle just imagined differently. There was the Four Star Summit featuring Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, Brian Alvarez, and Bruce Mitchell. Total Nonstep Jarrett had a panel with special guests talking all about TNA. WrestleCrap Live had R.D. Reynolds and friends and War Games Retrospective with J.J. Dillon, Tully Blanchard, Lex Luger, and Animal. If you ever wanted to know what went on behind the scenes in the starting of the War Games, which was created by Dusty Rhodes, that panel is definitely worth checking out. Friday Night also had the Roast of Bruce Pritchard and the Raven Effect, featuring Raven and his friends on the other stage. Jeff Jarrett and Bruce Pritchard also hosted a Spend My Days karaoke night. Saturday morning, the day of All In, started off with an All In DDP yoga workshop, and that lasted almost an hour, in two hours, just of DDP yoga, along with his uh, own talking about his career, how he got started in the business, and what got him through to yoga after his injuring his back. Sean Waltman hosted a 1-2-360 degrees of the NWO, featuring his two other NWO and outsider friends, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. The death of WCW panel was had R.D. Reynolds, Kevin Sullivan, and Eric Bischoff talking about the book, The Death of WCW, that R.D. Reynolds wrote. Eric Bischoff and Kevin Sullivan took a lot of exceptions to this, as a lot of the information that Reynolds provided in his book were, as Eric said, from a bunch of stooges who may have wanted just to get their name out there as opposed to having actual facts. Primetime Wrestling Live with Sean Mooney had Jim Johnson, the creator of a lot of uh, the themes we grew up on, Uh, from WWE, and he even got to play some of them, and a special appearance by Jeff Jarrett and Bruce Pritchard to sing With My Baby Tonight. And Sunday, after everything finished with All In, had the weekend wrapping up with Storytime with the Young Bucks, Ringside with JR, who had the new NWA champion Cody Rhodes on it, along with Rey Mysterio Jr., And that's how StarCast played out. All this is going to be available still on replay on Fight TV app or on Fight TV 
network if you get that in the United States. If you get a chance, I do recommend going back and checking out some of these panels because, as I said, they were very informative and was a great nostalgia, especially if you were a fan of WCW back in the day before it uh, fell flat on its face. But the main reason why everybody converged upon Chicago was for All In, the event that was put together by Cody Rhodes and Matt and Nick Jackson, thanks to a bet put out there by Dave Meltzer, thinking that nobody outside the WWE could put on a show in the independent world that would sell 10,000 tickets. Cody Rhodes took up that bet while it was only for a dollar. He still took that bet and surpassed it as over 11,000 were there. I believe the total number was 11,200 and some change. A lot of the buildup for this event was done, whether you watched uh, the different YouTube shows, 10 Pounds of Gold, Being the Elite, or the documentary All Us. All In was sponsored by Cracker Barrel, Hot Topic, Pro Wrestling Tees, and TGI Fridays, and was held at the Sears Center in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. The pre-show started on WGN America, where there was a one-hour, zero-hour show leading up to the event that would be seen on pay-per-view. There were two matches contested on the one-hour pre-show, and it started with Cody and the Young Bucks opening the event as they called up Road Warrior Animal, needing some sort of nostalgia to have to happen, and Animal rode out on a motorcycle. Afterwards, Cody and the Young Bucks offered the attendance free Hot Topic and Pro Wrestling Tees merchandise. The first match at Zero Hour featured a tag team match between SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, against the Briscoe Brothers, Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe. During the match, Jay performed the Jay... The first match on Zero Hour featured a tag team match between SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, against the Briscoe Brothers, Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe. During the match, Jay performed the Jay Driller on Kazarian, and Mark also performed on him an elbow drop, but Kazarian broke the pinfall attempt by kicking out of the pin. In the end, the Briscoes tried to execute a springboard doomsday device, but Kazarian reversed it into a power slam by grabbing Mark to win the match. The next match was the over-budget Battle Royal. El Chico Luchador. The first match on Zero Hour featured a tag team match between SoCal Uncensored, Frank Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky against the Briscoe Brothers, Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe. During the match, Jay performed the Jay Driller on Kazarian, and Mark also performed an elbow drop, but Kazarian broke out the pinfall attempt by kicking out. In the end, the Briscoes tried to execute a springboard doomsday device on Kazarian, but he reversed it into a power slam by grabbing Mark to win the match. Next up was the over-budget Battle Royal. There was a lot of uh, different names involved with this, from Colt Cabana, Bully Ray, Tommy Dreamer, Hurricane Helms, Jordan Grace, Brian Cage, and Chico El Luchador. 
who actually revealed himself as Flip Gordon after he eliminated Bully Ray to win the Battle Royal and face Jay Lethal later on in the night. It was an interesting uh, take on a Battle Royal, considering all the people who were in the match and all the spots that ended up happening. It was probably one of the best Battle Royals that was not a Royal Rumble to ever happen. They sort of took elements of the Royal Rumble where people were able to do their own bits with the ring being empty because everybody else went through the ropes and to the floor and were fighting before they went back into the ring to be tossed out. And that gave it definitely a unique look for a battle royal and was different than the punch, kick, and chops and eye rakes and just trying to throw somebody over and failing that normally happens in a battle royal where nothing gets solved until it's down to the final five or six people. But in this case, all of them sort of got their shots in because of the style that happened with getting out of the ring and fighting outside before going in, as I said. So it was an interesting take on a battle royal. And yeah, definitely a refresh. The actual pay-per-view started off with a match that I don't believe was announced as MJF faced Matt Cross. This actually was a good idea to put that in as a bonus, considering they had hyped up MJF on some of the All Us uh, vignettes that had happened. Plus, with the fact that they were sort of testing new waters and not knowing how many people were going to buy All In and what difficulties might have happened because of the mass amount of people buying it, they were very smart to do this. And there was difficulty with Fight uh, TV sustaining the signal to allow people all to get on. So that was a great idea. In the end, Matt Cross executed a shooting star press on MJF to get the win. Next up was Christopher Daniels facing Aerostar Stephen Amell. After extensive blows with Amell, Daniels pinned him with a, the best moonsault ever to get the victory. After the match, the two shook hands. If I remember right, this is probably Stephen Amell's fourth match, but his first singles match ever. He, I think he held his own in that uh, fight, but unfortunately I was wrong in my prediction and the veteran Christopher Daniels did pick up the victory, but there's pro future is promising for Stephen Amell. If he chooses to continue to pursue a career or venture into the squared circle more often. The third match on the main card saw the women's four way match. Tessa Blanchard, took on Chelsea Green, Madison Rain, and Britt Baker in a four-corner survival match. The climax saw Blanchard perform a hammerlock DDT on Chelsea Green to win the match. After the match, all four women embraced. I thought it was a really good match. Uh, women obviously have come a long way in the last while. There were a couple of sloppy spots, unfortunately, just due to timing, and I'm not sure how often all these women have worked together. Um, 
the ending did seem a little bit odd, but Chelsea Green was doing her little hot mess uh, character. So almost half of her was the Laurel Van Ness uh, jilted bride uh, sort of makeup and disheveled all over the place and not wanting to do things and sort of a heel side. And then the other uh, part of her was uh, nicely kept and sort of the baby face side of her. So it kind of looked odd that maybe she was trying to break up the spot and then didn't. Um, I'm not sure how it came off in the arena, but it sounded like the commentators were even confused when Tessa picked up the victory but she did with the hammerlock DDT and uh, yeah, all four women embraced as this was quite the fight for them and being included in the all in card is definitely something to be proud of in an odd placing, considering the stakes that were involved in all the buildup for the match. The next match was the NWA world heavyweight championship match as Nick Aldis defended against Cody. It came off as a major match and almost like how boxing is presented with everybody having their own entourage. I can't at the moment remember who all accompanied accompanied Nick Aldis to the uh, ring. However, Cody had his dog, Brandy, Tommy Dreamer, Glacier, and DDP all in his corner. So as Aldis went to the top rope to perform a diving elbow drop, Brandy got in the way and tried to plead with Aldis to not do it. Aldis, however, uh, did, and she he ended up hitting Brandy with the uh, elbow as she laid across Cody in time to block him. Cody was able to then recover and perform a beautiful disaster and hit the crossroads on Aldis for a near fall. Cody and Aldis attacked each other with punches, and then Cody hit a vertebraker, but Aldis uh, reversed it, and in the end, Aldis tried to steal Cody's finisher, but Cody reversed it, and Aldis tried to pin him. And Cody uh, countered into a sunset flip to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. This first time in history that a father and son can lay claim to having held the same title. Um, Dusty held it years ago in the 70s. And now Cody was able to win the championship. Next up was the Chicago Street Fight involving Hangman Page and Joey Janela. Joey came out with Penelope Ford by his side, and they two gentlemen fought everywhere and brought out ladders and tables, and the Cracker Barrel got used. Uh, at one point, Janela set up two tables and unfortunately got reversed as Hangman Page ended up launching him off the rampway and through the table. The finish actually saw uh, Joey Janela setting up a table and a ladder and put Paige on top of the table, and Janela climbed the ladder to try and, uh, I guess, do a jump or an elbow through the table onto Paige, but Paige recovered, climbed up the ladder, 
and ended up hitting a rite of passage on Janela from the top of the ladder and through the table to win the match. That's when things went from wow to what? Leading up to this event uh, on episodes of Being the Elite, it turned out that Hangman Page had killed Joey Ryan, and during the weigh-ins and press conference the day before on Friday, Hangman Page had admitted to killing Joey Ryan, and I guess it was with a phone in the uh, hotel room. He had Boots talking to him with his guilt, and this finally came to a head as the lights went out and all of a sudden eight guys dressed in inflatable penis costumes came out somewhat like Undertaker druids and then we saw on the screen the dead body of Joy Ryan in the hotel room and he was bloodied all in his face and the camera scrolls down and all of a sudden his penis gets erected and there's a big gong and out came Joey Ryan dancing, had his lollipop and he got back into the ring past his uh, dick druids and Hangman Page couldn't believe it. Joey got into the ring, oiled up, put his lollipop in his trunks, hit uh, Page with a super kick, and Page fell into the arms of the druids that were at ringside now and were carried out of the arena as everybody starting, started to chant, rest in penis, over and over again. So, like I said, it was... A moment of wow for with all the hardcore moments that went on during the Janela page match and then the what the am I watching but it was fun like don't get me wrong I watched it over again with a friend uh, this past weekend just to show him the contrast in the show and I think it was definitely well worth it uh, they had the built-in storyline from being the elite and it was a good payoff and the ghost of joy ryan had been signing autographs at starcast during the fan fest areas and signing at the ghost of joy ryan so yeah i can't complain either way it was fun and now there's joy ryan merchandise inspired by undertaker out there Jay Lethal then defended the ROH Championship against Flip Gordon, who had won the over-the-budget Battle Royal. Gordon didn't uh, think he was even going to get on the card, and that's why he ended up sneaking into the Battle Royal under a mask. And now, instead of having his all-out t-shirt, he crossed it out and made it an all-in shirt for himself. On his way to the ring... Uh, Jay Lethal was handed a pair of Macho Man style uh, shades and he looked at them puzzled and the mysterious hand that handed him the glasses then hit him hard on his shoulder blade and all of a sudden he snapped and when he came out to the ring he was 
fact being black machismo, black machismo, should I say, his uh, gimmick from ROH, and he was accompanied to the ring by Lanny Poffo, who was wearing a shirt saying "Brothers from different mothers," and apparently he was the one who activated black machismo, and so he came out to the ring. Flip Gordon came out to the ring with Brandy Rhodes as they have a friendship there. And Jay Lethal treated Brandy like she was Miss Elizabeth and trying to get her into the right corner. Uh, he knocked Flip out of the ring and Brandy was there. He picked Brandy up on his shoulders like Randy did for Elizabeth at WrestleMania 4 and at WrestleMania 7. And they couldn't understand it for a bit. He got hit again and flipped back into Jay Lethal, which then went back to being uh, Black Machismo later on when he got hit again. In the end, yeah, Jay Lethal ended up hitting the lethal injection on Gordon and got the victory and retained his title. After the match, the two showed mutual respect for each other, and Bully Ray returned to attack them both as he wanted the title shot and didn't appreciate Flip Gordon eliminating him to get that shot. Chicago's own Colt Cabana appeared and made the save, and then the three performers did a triple powerbomb on Bully Ray through a table, almost like the shield. Next, Kenny Omega faced Penta El Zero in a singles match, also known as Pentagon Jr. Omega tried to perform the one-winged angel numerous times, but Penta reversed into the sacrifice. Penta executed a fear factor on Omega for a near fall, and later Penta tried to perform a lariat, but Omega performed the V-trigger numerous times, followed by a reverse Frankensteiner. In the end, Omega performed another V-trigger and then finally hit the one-wing angel uh, to end the match and get the victory. That's when the lights went out. And when they finally came back on, Penta got up and attacked Omega with the codebreaker, revealing himself to be Chris Jericho, who had challenged Omega to a match on his rock and wrestling rager at Sea Cruise coming up next month it's definitely quite interesting how that played out considering like well for starters the match was amazing i would probably put that along with the hangman page and joey janela matches as my two favorites of the card i would also then put cody's match and marty Skrull's match as my third and fourth pick but as far as it goes beyond the amazing match that Pentagon Jr. and Omega uh, put on against each other, the way everything worked out with Chris Jericho is quite the story in itself, considering Cody had asked Jericho to be a part of it, but Jericho had stated that he didn't want to be a part of it due to the status of where he is, um, where the card was intended to be, and I guess he might have also had some sort of promise or deal with Vince McMahon 
that he would not wrestle for any other company on North American soil unless it was Vince that allowed him to still go and wrestle in New Japan. But obviously things have changed. There's some maybe heat, who knows, between Jericho and the WWE right now. Uh, but whatever it was, because Jericho had proposed an Intercontinental Champion versus Intercontinental Champion at SummerSlam and got turned down, so that might have been fuel for his wanting to do this, but it gave a great opportunity for him to advertise the cruise that's coming up that's going to have Ring of Honor and some uh, Impact Stars and probably New Japan and the Bullet Club, basically all on it and Jericho had done a Fozzy concert hopped on a plane and made it to Chicago got into the Pentagon gear and I guess a fan had seen him on the plane and they were able to persuade the fan not to post anything and spoil the surprise so he got into the Pentagon Jr. costume did the attack on Kenny Omega and quickly hopped on another private jet to get to another Fozzie concert. And so he did two concerts plus that attack. And what can't Jericho seem to do? I don't know. Our second last match of the night saw Okada face Marty Skrull in a singles match. This match was very slow and methodic, I think, um, from what Dave said. Okada generally does move slow. I did enjoy the match. However, there's rumor that it went over by about 12 minutes. Marty Squirrel says only one minute. But between that match and a couple other matches going a little bit extra, which I think was also the Kenny Omega match went a little bit longer, I did have consequences for the main event. Um... As far as the Okada versus Squirrel, Squirrel match uh, went, at the end, Okada reverted a Rainmaker followed by a second Rainmaker to win the match. The main event saw the Golden Elite, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, and Kota Ibushi facing Rey Mysterio, Rey Phoenix, and Bandito in a six-man tag match. Bandito hit Matt Jackson with Backflipping backbreaker. Nick Jackson hit Bandito with a superkick. The Young Bucks also superkicked both Phoenix and Rey Mysterio. Ibushi and the Young Bucks performed the more bang for your buck with Ibushi on Bandito for the near fall. In the end, the Young Bucks performed the Melster Driver on Bandito for the win, and there was a moment during that match you could hear them say, that they had to go quickly and get to go home. Uh, so it was a very clear audible, unfortunately. Um, as I said, some of the matches went quite overboard. And this did end with three seconds left to go on pay-per-view before the satellites were going to end up shutting them down. So they got the victory in, and they barely even got to say goodbye. I don't even think they did get to say goodnight. So after the cameras officially stopped rolling and the pay-per-view went off the air, um, everybody got a microphone and the Young Bucks thanked 
everybody for coming and making it such a amazing event and making it possible, proving Dave Meltzer wrong. And then others came out. There was Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, Brandy. And yeah, they thanked everybody for the support mainly. And they had promised that they're not going to go anywhere. Uh, there is a lot of interest in, from WWE that um, they want them in there potentially. Their contracts are coming up soon with New Japan, uh, I believe in January. So it is a pivotal time for those guys who, I guess as leverage, have agreed to stay together. And that included Hangman Page, Marty Skrull, Cody, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. And Cody also said that it was based on a bet that David uh, made. But then there's sometimes you have to go double or nothing on bets. So that was almost a hint that they are looking to do a all-in two or something similar to it and keep it going. Who knows, with the amount of money that was made that weekend for independent wrestling, the appearance on WGN America, and just everything that's falling into place, these guys are definitely holding all the cards. And I, even though I admittedly am a hardcore WWE fan, regardless of what people are thinking of the product right now, I don't want to see those guys go there. They need to provide a better alternative and even some sort of competition that makes WD look at what their product is and what they're giving out to the fans and light a fire under them. There wasn't anything like that out there since WCW back in like 1996-97 when they started competing in the 83-week beating that WCW had, WWE had to step up and become better for the fans, and that's how they ended up winning the war. But in doing so, they took away a lot of the competition. Well, the competition actually did it themselves, admittedly. But there wasn't any drive. They've done the PG era. While numbers are better internationally overall compared to the Attitude Era, and they're making a lot more revenue compared to the Attitude Era, there's a lot of complaining going on, and the direction just doesn't sort of make sense at times. Having this alternative presented by Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega is needed for the industry to survive. The independents and territories are rising up and all the power to them. These guys need to stay away from WWE unless they're going to get mind-blowing money thrown at them and they all accept together and come in. But then what invasion angle could they run that would make sense and put them over? We've seen numerous invasion angles. So I'm pleading to them probably on behalf of the wrestling world, do not go to WWE. You guys are able to do your own thing, and you do it well. This all-in event was great, 
and piggybacking with uh, Conrad Thompson, making it essentially like the WrestleMania for the independent world. And congratulations on doing such a great job and onward and upward and put on another one. The fans will come. You've seen it. 10,000 people was nothing. 30 minutes. You can try and go bigger now. So congratulations again. And next time there is one, be sure to go out there and catch it. It's the best day of your life, because the realest guy in the room is coming to the 5th Annual London Comic Con. Meet wrestling superstar and rapper Eric Arndt, formerly known as Enzo Amore, now known as The Real One, appearing Saturday and Sunday. The 5th Annual London Comic Con, presented by Start.ca, happens this October 26th to 28th at the Western Fair Agriplex. It's a three-day celebration of art, comics, and pop culture with celebrity guests, vendors, and more. Southwestern Ontario's largest fan event. Come meet from Star Trek The Next Generation, Marina Sirtis, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, James Marsters, Ted Raimi from Xena Warrior Princess, the Yellow Peril Ranger, Serena Vincent, the young Boba Fett from Star Wars Episode Two, Daniel Logan, from They Live, David Keith, from They Live, Keith David. Mr. McFreely from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, David Newell. And former UFC star and WWF Intercontinental Champion, Ken Shamrock. Plus more announcements still to come. Tickets are on sale now. For tickets and more information, go to londoncomiccon.ca. Thanks to super partners, start.ca, M&T Printing, Lens Mill Stores, Heroes Comics, Toboggan Brewing, Western Fair District, and media partners, London's Best Rock, FM96, Classic Rock, Free 98.1, and Fanatics. London Comic Con, October 26th to 28th. It's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. I can't help. 